have this friendly against Latvia, which is a little bit of a nothing game. It could be interesting that game now, if it is the case that this is when Evan Ferguson starts, and maybe that's his chance. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Welcome along to Monday Night Rugby. Richie McCormack at the helm tonight and I'm delighted to say joining us on the line this evening as well is Matt Williams. Matt, welcome back to the show. Hey Richie, good to see you man. And here too is uh, former Leinster and Ireland Centre Gordon Darcy. Gordon, good evening to you too. Hi Richie. Hey, I'm Maddie. Uh, reuni- yeah, reuniting the lads. Great to talk to you mate. Great to talk to you. <laughs> Listen, I'll just sit back. You two can get on with this and you know have your own <laughs> chat yourselves and I'll just be uh, an interested onlooker, reveling in the warmth of your friendship. The stories we, we would tell about each other, we, we might be on the X ratings, I think. With it, <laughs> but it's great to have Gordy. He's, he's always got a great opinion, always has. Great great thinker of the game. Come, comes up now, always challenges me. Always, since he was, since he was 19. <laughs> Is that it? AFL, we went to like a, a grand final back in summer of 1999 in Australia. But I told you I played for Leinster Rugby and the look, you kind of went, yeah, yeah, sure you do. And then uh, he arrived over as the coach about five months later. And I think the look across the uh, thing was like, oh, God, he was serious. <laughs> do you remember that, Matt? Of course I do. Yeah, yeah, I remember. We were in a, we were in a, it was a State of Origin match, Doherty, and we were in a pub. And Plugger yeah. uh, got his uh, 1,000th goal or something. Yeah, that's right. That's there right, and we're with a mutual friend, Owen Sist, and uh, um, Gordy was there. I, I think the nicest way to say it, Gordy, is you'd had a good summer. I had, I had summered well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what had taken you down there, Gordon? Was it just like your uh, your teenage years heading off to Australia for a summer, or was it? Yes, my friends were all on a, they were on their uh, kind of their gap year, mm. or lead thing. they'd gone out to work in schools and everything, so um, like... You couldn't you couldn't script what happened. Like I went on a massive uh, night out with uh, the lads, and they were out in that school. I met Matt through uh, saying a mutual friend that was out there, yeah. and I had quite a, a an enjoyable night out. But my clothes kind of reflected that night out, um, and I was woke up the next morning pretty hungover, walking out of the school, and uh, the Irish rugby team happens to be training in that school. As I'm walking out after one of the, uh, quite quite a substantial uh, night on the night on the town, and I've kind of got a sleeveless T-shirt on that doesn't exactly complement my body figure. Lost the shirt that I was wearing and the Irish rugby, and I could just see the fingers pointing at me as I was as they were driving by. I was like, oh crikey! <laughs> so you made, you made quite the impression. Picks me for the World Cup uh, a couple of months later. <laughs> quite the impression uh, right come here we'll, we'll start with we usually uh, in, in the style of things on a Monday um, Munster and Leinster usually get top inning but I guess the biggest job that was done over the weekend in terms of European action was that done by Ulster uh, with their victory over Sale on Saturday evening um, seeing through that yellow card for, for Ben Doak in, this, in the second half and uh, getting over the line those late tries from Rob Herring and, and Dwayne Vermeulen it's job done Gordon in a sense for, for Ulster they're getting that uh away last 16 tie against Leinster for their um, reward but it's a strange reward where and we talked about this a little bit I guess where you can get through to the knockout phase of the Champions Cup by winning one match so for as much as you want to congratulate Ulster it highlights a flaw in the competition for sure yeah yeah like I think 
we've we've all but agreed on the d- despite the um the media offensive that went on from the Champions Cup organizers um recently to try and justify it. This is a triaging stage uh to get to the last 16. And there was a couple of interesting encounters, there's been a couple of you know enjoyable games to watch. But really, when you're looking at, you know, Gloucester qualified, Ulster qualified, you know, in the in the previous formats, anybody that, you know, hasn't deserved qualify doesn't. Whereas now you're kind of going, this isn't this isn't a, this is just a filtering out of what four teams in each in each, in each group to get to the to get to the next round. And you would expect the uh, the perform sorry the the matchups to reflect. Um, even even more so, who did well in the in the in the pool stages, um, you know the teams that got the home quarterfinals won, you know, one more often than not, with the home quarters to you know to be heavily biased in in, in favour of them. Mm. Uh, Matt, is there like a way around this other than just reverting to type and going back to what we did have pre-COVID? Well, mate, the problem is, uh, in Gordon's one hundred percent correct. The problem the problem is is the French and the English clubs want to focus on their competition. They don't want as many games mm. and they want to get to the money. So they want to guarantee a little bit more money. So the round of 16 is very lucrative, as approved last year. So what what these teams want, they want less pool games because they want to focus on the English Premiership and the top 14. And they want a round of 16 because they can get a fair few bucks out of that. So it's really diluted the value of the competition. Gordon's 100% right. In, in, the, in the pool stages... Uh, before, when there were six six rounds, if you didn't have four wins, you didn't make it. And four wins got you an away quarter. You you had to go through perfect, pretty much. Maybe maybe able to drop one game depending on the year to get a home quarter final. Six got your home quarter final. Now, like one game qualifies you. It's a joke. It's it's re- look. They've got to be really careful. I, I've said this a lot. Um, Super rugby. When I met Gordon there, I just finished coaching Super rugby in Australia. And Super Rugby was so strong. Like I, I could, I just thought it was going to power past everything in Europe, and it did for a time mm. until they started mucking around with the competition, and it killed it. People lost interest in in part of the competition, and you've got to say with the numbers down at a lot of the matches, that people are seeing through this and saying, well, these these pool stages aren't really what they were before, which was a real challenge and a really hard. Uh, process to get to a playoffs, and then they're just not anymore. As as we can see with Gloucester, who sent across a a terribly weakened side earlier in the competition, and and Ulster have had a bad run and get one win, and they make the playoffs. It, it's not right. It's funny when you when you look at it with that view of the French top fourteen sides and the English Premiership sides wanting fewer games, but wanting to get to the money, without wanting to get conspiracy uh, conspiratorial about it at all, Gordon. If you look at the two sides who are heading into the Six Nations with the biggest injury concerns, it will be France and England. So they're almost paying the price for playing as many games as they do at the top level in their domestic competitions with Europe on top of that. And then you have teams being able to go through with one win in the Champions Cup. So it kind of ends up suiting teams like the Irish ones. I think, Richie, you would assume that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing in that the club game and the decision makers are not necessarily always aligned. So, um, you know, in theory, you want less games, but how many, like, what, there's probably one, maybe two less games mm. um, in the current format. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's, you know, the, 
the mapping out of the rugby calendar in the Northern Hemisphere has proven to be very, very elusive. Um, and it hasn't been finished. It hasn't been done well yet, um, I don't think. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's a weird arrangement because the clubs are desperate for this money that comes from Europe, but they don't necessarily want to be overly involved in it. They play in the matches that suit them. Um, and then through some, through like a bizarre quirk of the of the of the format, if you win one game, you get to the ne- you get to the next round. Um, and it's like two separate tournaments now. When you think about it, you have this qualifying period, or it's calling it a triaging period, where you're kind of filtering out the absolute uh, no interest teams, but they've still gotten paid to be to be here. They just haven't lived up to their side of the bargain, and it all restarts now in the last sixteen. In, in April. So it is kind of two distinct tournaments. Um which you know it's just it just feels weird. Yeah. On on that as well, Matt, it's it's a sense that you can't really have this triaging period as, as Gordon calls it and this filtering out of of of, of you know four to eight teams, whatever, um out of Europe and into the Challenge Cup, depending on where they land in, in their pools. But to try and regenerate that interest then as soon as the spring comes and as soon as the last sixteen comes you're in danger of driving away a lot of your punters and a lot of people who might have interest in it, a lot of people might have passing interest in it by saying that half of the tournament calendar, uh, maybe even not even half the tournament games, don't necessarily matter. That's a dangerous game for a competition to play. Absolutely. Absolutely dangerous. And, and Richie, you're dead right. And, and this is the problem. Like people, people will start saying, well, these games mean nothing. And so we'll we'll wait till April till we get involved. Now last April, people did turn up in droves, mm. but in the past, the, the the Heineken Cup, as it was in a six a six match build up to quarterfinals, so many of those matches they were playoff matches. You know, you know, Gordon's played in so many of them, and uh, back in our day when we were going through, you you had to win that match because you didn't make it. And the people knew, the night knew, the people, the, the atmosphere at the stadium was sensational. It was, you know, it was very well followed. It was huge bums on seats. I, there's a real danger of losing that. And I think they have lost. I think people are, not, are, are, are onto it. You see, you've got, you've got your, 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 uh, your royalty Saracens, Lara Shell are coming into it. Rogers pushed them through there. Leinster, Leicester, Toulouse, Exeter. They're the, they're the clubs that have always taken Europe to heart. Now, they were always there or thereabouts at the quarters. What this current uh, system is doing is bringing, allowing other clubs to come in and share that money. And with one win in the competition, it, it diminishes the competition. And again, they diminished Super Rugby and it collapsed in, in every front. On TV, bums on seats, interest on, on, in newspapers, media coverage and so on. Heineken Cup was the best comp club competition in the world. There is no doubt about it. And by mucking around with it, they are really putting that in danger. Um, on, on that, Gordon, it's not necessarily Ulster's fault, obviously, that the competition format is the way it is, but they badly needed a win. They got it. And you would have forgiven them for thinking that when... Uh, when Nathan Doak has shown the line, uh, shown the Simbin, and then they have Ben Curry go over for sale for a try, Ulster would have been thinking, uh-oh, here we go again. Um, but the way Dan McFarland used his bench, he changed his front five, he got a tune out of John Cooney coming off the bench too. Do you see that win as exercising a lot of demons that have been built up over the past few weeks, or is it 
just a one step along a rehabilitation that they most badly need. Yeah, like, a, like, like what's the first thing you need to do is stop the rot and stop the the death spiral. Mm. I mean, well, I've done that. They've gotten a win against a, a a decent team, and like Sailor, decent, and they were had them in their backyard. Um, you know, it was a far from a classic match, uh, rugby wise, from a purer sense. But there was plenty of tension in it. There was plenty of bite in it. And for the first time in about eight matches, you could say for the from the players on the field, they played like it actually mattered the result. Um, like it was a one-off game, and they needed to play like you know their careers. You know they just they needed to play like it mattered, and I think they delivered that. So now you kind of have that line in the sand moment, and everybody can celebrate that win and you know, that common cause and goal of, you know, just getting a win at home in front of our fans. And now you can kind of look at it and go, right, where do we go from here? So every time, you know, you're, you know, when you're on a winning run, you know, the next match becomes harder when you're on the, you know, the other end of the spectrum, which Ulster clearly were, it's around, they've stopped the rot now. They've stopped this downward spiral. It's like, okay, they have that win. That's fine. Now it comes on to the next game mm. and the next game and the next game because there's a huge amount of work to do within that squad. And, you know, they're still technically in, uh, you know, top, you know, qualification, you know, can 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 mount a URC challenge by virtue of what they did in the first third of the season. Um, but there's an awful lot of, you know, there's an awful lot. That was a real, sorry, it was a real emotional performance. There was an awful lot in it. Well, technically, there's still an awful lot of issues. They showed the bit of a, an emotion, a bit of, bit of heart. But every game that they play from here on in, you know, people are going to be looking, you know, through one eye go, like which Ulster is going to show up. So mm. they really, there's going to be an awful lot of introspection within this group as to go, you know, how do we, how to manage? Because there's an awful lot of rugby to be played in the, in the, for the rest of the season. It's not like there's three games left and you can kind of map out and go, we win these three games. This is what happens. There's a huge amount of rugby to be played. And, there's still that lingering question: Do they have the tight five, and do they have the you know the the, the metal to 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 continually deliver? Well, on your point there, what what requires the most surgery from Dan McFarland's point of view, as you see it? And I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's fixable in this in this season. Like they've had like I've you looked at that tight five and that eight. It's arguably the same team that got very close to Leinster, you know, probably to during the finals in COVID. Hmm. Um, and they haven't really evolved. They haven't really changed up much. Um, and I think those weaknesses that were potentially always there are just surfacing now or just being exposed a bit more now. You know, they've lost Marty Moore. Um, they haven't really been able to settle on a, on a consistent starting tight five and I think when you play against bigger teams they're just able to expose that mm. um so figuring out how to play with the with with the resources they have it's been like it's it's it's, it's going to be a challenge I think you just have to, you I would generally kind of ask the question are they are they a title contending a title uh contention team anymore and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say they are yeah, Maddie, they seem to have slipped back from that 2020 season whereby they did look like they would be the next logical challengers to Leinster. But ultimately, for one reason or another, there does seem to have been that slip backwards. Yeah, they haven't, Gordon hit the nail on the head. They haven't grown. And at the elite end, 
if you're not growing and moving and improving, you're actually going backwards because everyone else is. Hmm. Um, why that is, you know, that, that's an internal question that uh, Coach McFarlane will have to answer. But there, there's no doubt that they haven't progressed the way I thought they could. And I guess the province thought they could. There's a, there, there is also a real difficulty when you, I, when I coached up there, I noticed it. They do, the players and the team get a lot of praise and a lot of publicity, and it can be a bubble up there because they are the only um, team in town, if you like, within the media. And, you know, it's, it's not unusual for the players to get, that they can get a little ahead of themselves and think they've already made it. And, and it just looked to me, and Gordon used the term, uh, uh, an emotional performance, and I agree with that. But you've got that's hunger too, isn't it? You know, when you when a team is really hungry, that's emotional. And I just think they're when when you're just that few percentage points off at the top end of rugby, you're a million miles off. Mm. And, and that's what's happened with them. They're, you know, and they've had they've been so close a number of times. We've got to be fair and put some balance in this. In appalling conditions against La Rochelle, they should have beaten them like in the last seconds. And there's one or two other games that they found a way to lose. But again, I think that's just that progression we haven't seen. We thought we would get from them. Um, one thing that might hamper that progression or not, or it certainly looks like it could bring about a little bit of change, Gordon, is that Gregor Townsend's been pretty open about his talks with John Cooney and trying to bring him on board for Scotland, which looks like it's going to happen. It's whether or not it happens during the course of the Six Nations is probably the bigger question. Um, has that been a distraction for the likes of Cooney and for Ulster? Um, because obviously that's going to impact on contract talks and, and you know um, all that kind of stuff but like that wouldn't help necessarily a top level player having that much discussion around their future yeah I don't like the kind of I, I don't know John very very well but I don't he seems like a kind of guy that that doesn't really stuff doesn't really seem to seem to bother him mm. um I wouldn't say it's been a been a frustration um for his teammates either like it's Again, it's not one of these weird little. I don't think when they designed this rule, they thought uh, John Cooney wasn't in mind. Uh, yeah. Two Irish halfbacks uh, potentially moving to Scotland um, just feels weird. Um, but again, it's like you know, if he does, he does. He becomes an overseas uh, qualified player and probably won't see out the rest of his career in in in, in Ulster. Like, listen, that's fine. Wants to play the World Cup, um, you know. That's a like everything is a series of choices, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think his form and even, you know, that, that is like the type of player he is, it's a front, he's a front foot player. And, you know, like anybody else will look a different player on the back foot and their pack has been on the back foot for, you know, their, you know, Cooney's form is like completely intertwined to that of his pack. And when they're on the front foot and when they're moving forward, he is, he looks a million dollars and looks, you know, the clearly the second best scrum half in Ireland behind uh, Gibson Park. Um, and for most scrum halves and most players playing on the back foot, um, you know, you really have to be a special, different type of gravy kind of player to be able to play on the on on the, on the back front and deliver similar results. Um, so it'll be it will be like it's going to be really interesting to see what he does and if he does take that opportunity to go. Matt, what have you thought of this Scottish recruitment of of our our boys, as it were? Well, I think if you. If you approach it from two points, mate, it's, it's, it certainly tells you a lack of development within Scottish rugby, which is 
you know, since I was there, it's been 20 years, that they, they've really struggled at academy levels to produce uh, high-quality players um, in the numbers required. Uh, look, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. The 20 years ago, they gave up. They had four provinces mm. when we went professional, and they gave up too. There was talk that the borders, uh, when Gordon and I were working together, the borders were a team, and they were going to give up the borders franchise and move it to London Scottish, and that all fell apart, so they actually just gave up the franchise. So they do have to look, um, you know, to South Africa. They've got a lot of players that are uh, that are eligible through uh, uh, living in in the uh, UK for a certain period of time, and they're looking further further afield. Look, I, I think it's just the way of the world. Um, and the other part is, if you if you're uh, you know Ben Hurley and Kearney, and you're not getting selected for Ireland, you've only got a few years of professional rugby in you, and you've got the opportunity to, to play at a World Cup and represent um, your, your grandparents' heritage, um, I, I can understand why they would do it. I, I certainly can. It's different different if you're getting selected for Ireland, but the, these guys aren't. Mm. And so I think they um, they have every right to go and pursue that. So so the, the, two, the, two, points, the two points is that, Scotland should be producing the more. And the other one is that these guys have every right to go and do it and good luck to them. I hope they enjoy it because you you only get a few years and you're retired a long time. Is that ultimately, Gordon, why you see why Cooney's face has never really fit in an Ireland context? I mean, you're talking about them when they're playing front front rugby. He seems like one of the best scrum halves in the world. When they're not, he's not. So therefore, you can kind of see why Andy Farrell won't necessarily be banking on somebody like that as being his backup to a Jameson Gibson Park. You know, but I think I, I, I did say that's every there's very few like you have to be. I think that probably you look at someone like uh Ruin Pienaar, he was a guy who could playing in that nine uh position was able to change games mm. when things weren't going. He was the momentum generator for his teams. Like when he used to be you know, when he used to arriving to rooks and you have that big long, you know, big long neck sticking up looking over and you just see the ball getting dropped on the foot and rolling into touch, creating that kind of thing. Like I'm saying, it's a really, really special player. That's not in any way a, a veiled dig at John Cooney. I'm just saying that's, you know, he is super on the front foot. He's, you know, is incredible. And, you know, 98% of scrum halves will struggle on the, will struggle on the, on the, on the, on the, on the back foot. Um, yeah, and he's like, I think he's, it's just him having to make peace with the fact that he's not being picked here for whatever reason. Um, and I don't think anybody is ever, is any clearer as to why he's not in the, in the, in the, in the more involved. Um, he's kind of looking at Scotland. So if he doesn't have a clear understanding for it, yeah, it's still like Ben Healy, as someone saying, was, was born, was qualified for Scotland the day he was born. Yeah. Um, but hasn't represented Ireland. I think there is a slight, um, wrinkle in that John Cooney's played 10 times for Ireland so that's you know I know there is a, a loophole there for you Um, once you're happy with it it's I just I suppose it's not something I could ever ever see myself doing Were you qualified for someone else Gordon? You're not telling us? No, no it's like, it's like <laughs> do you know what it's like um, you know at, very, at, two, at two different times in my career I got offered to go to I was I got offers uh, to go to two different two, two other clubs and one was in the UK and one was uh, Ulster um, and and France, you know, the, couldn't couldn't settle with the one in the UK, but the Ulster one, it just like it was brought up right through the Leinster system. Yeah, 
just it's just like oh I couldn't I genuinely couldn't put that jersey on. So you know I think there's a there's a, a thing you have to there's like when you take money out of sport sometimes in this professional in professional rugby and um there is you know there is something special about representing your 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 country and I think for me and then again this is and it's not do whatever you want I don't I don't really care I like back you to to do it you have picked a country and now it's like uh yeah no I'm going to go and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to avail of a loophole like listen I understand what is there I just again saying I can't I can't ever see myself being able to kind of go give the same dedication if you did do it how yeah. would you like you can't say you love Scotland as much as you as you loved playing for Ireland it's not something you grow up with yeah I suppose yeah we'll move off articulating that particularly well. well we'll move off the Ulster thing I want to talk about Munster as well Matt um it's again one of those moral victories uh, in a sense and obviously coming away with the losing bonus point and getting over the line and getting that last 16 tie in the Champions Cup but, but when I saw that Toulouse side being named on Friday, there was a gulp when you see the halfback partnership of, of Entomac and Dupont. From Munster's point of view, you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is a real test of, of where that renaissance of the last few weeks actually is. And to their credit, Munster put in a decent performance. But the real test is, I think Rory O'Connor put it in the end of today, is it's going to be turning those moral victories into actual victories against sides of the calibre of Toulouse. Yeah, I think we also have to realise that Toulouse... The rest of that back line was not their starting back line. Mm. Um, the thing that struck me about Munster was how inaccurate they were in attack. If you watch Leinster the day before, every pass was out in front. They were crisp. They were moving onto the ball. And there was a passage there just at the beginning of the second half. Um, every And I think it was the one that ended up where someone threw a pass and Joey Carberry had to run back and and collected. Every pass was just behind the shoulder or on the back hip, wasn't out in front. Guys were standing still. They'd overrun the ball. They were they were really out of sorts. And Joey was just, you know, I found it really hard to watch him play. It was one of those, not, not rugby-wise, just, you could see he was just so upset and out of sorts had been dropped from the Irish squad. It's one of those ones you just want to go put your arm around and say, listen, mate, just just take a breath. It's going to be okay. You know, just, just try and calm. He was trying so hard. Every kick off off the boot, off the tee, it was like he had no timing in the world. It was they were just like dead ducks flying across the air, and he he was just sort of they, they tr- and that was typical of what Munster they tried their guts out as they always do. They really, you, you know, they were they were so brave and worked their guts out, but they were just so inaccurate. They should they had no right to hang in there, and they did, but. Um, they they got to get that accuracy right. They've got to get those passes right. Like there there was they had a, the set plays. They've got to get right, and and they're just not doing that right now. And that's the difference. If it's not the problem, and if it's never been the problem with the Munster team, they're always trying their guts out. That's that's who they are. Mm. But they they were not accurate in the same way as as Leinster. And I also I would say Toulouse were. I was very disappointed with Toulouse. Their attack in the twenty two was was absolutely dinosaur, I'm just going to run into you, attack. They didn't look to go out the back. Uh, they, they didn't have the creativity that you usually associate with a Toulouse side. I, I thought they were, were very mediocre in certain aspects to it. Now, it was a really bitterly cold day. I don't know, that didn't come across on the TV. Um, but here in France, where I'm talking to you from, it, you know, it's, it's, it was a, a day where you, you worry about players breaking bones. It was that cold and that, that horrible. But... Um, Munster 
Again, their inaccuracy at line-out time and other times. Their scrum was excellent. John Ryan had a wonderful game, but their attack was uh, was poor. How did you assess them, uh, Gordon, and, and, and in the light of that Carberry performance, when you see Andy Farrell saying things like he's passed on his, his feedback to Joey as regards his non-selection in the Ireland squad, and then you see the performance yesterday whereby the pressure of the moment, perhaps, as Matt says, got to him a little bit and the need to prove himself got to him a little bit and he wasn't at his optimum. Yeah, like listen, I'm I, I was much more enthusiastic on that performance by Munster than um I suppose than uh I suppose <laughs> Maddie is a little bit. I agree with everything Maddie is saying. The fundamentals of stuff there is so much things to work on. But the um Ty Burn try showed what they are capable of. And if you go back to what they were doing pre-Christmas, they would have balls that try up. They just couldn't, you know, they'd get there, they probably would have given a, you know, gotten a penalty or something rather than getting the getting the try over the line. But they actually are starting to show incremental improvements. And it's slow. And this season, this season is going to be, uh, you know, a, a case of, I've said it before, one, you know, two steps forward, one step back for Munster. And that was a good step for Munster. Um, and they're ones they'll need to continue to, 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 to build on. Um and they get like obviously they have to go down to South Africa, but like when you start looking now and you've got RG Snyman starting to come back in, they are going to miss James Ryan, but you know he the the ballast he could add to that pack could be very very important for Munster. And I don't, I don't think they're going to challenge for a trophy or anything, but one more big performance, one or two more big performances could go an awful long way in the Graham Raintree roadmap. Probably what's more important for them is is solving the Joey Carberry conundrum because this guy's ceiling is so high, um, but he's just so far off it. And you know, Matt talking about the the kicks, like he is a big game player and has been and has you know has had really really big pressure moments, and they've looked effortless for him. Um, at other times, he's just not there at the moment. Um, and like as a player, I've been there. I've been there, and it is, it's just not great. Um, but I, I, I can guarantee we'll be saying in, I don't know when, when it's going to be. Hopefully before the before the World Cup, we will be talking about how he navigated this period, um, because he has that character within him. We know he has. He's shown it before. Mm. So it's just about Rowntree and Co. trying to figure out how to bring that best, how to bring that back out in him. How how to, how to get him to, to bring it back out in himself. How much agency is there on him to prove that between now and World Cup selection? Because he is going to be in the conversation. No, uh, so yeah, I think, but I think the, the, the I think, and, and that's fine for us in this conversation. Yeah. We can have, we can have that and, you know, I've had this conversation with nearly every coach I've played for when they've dropped me at some point. Um, you included, Matt. Um, that uh, the agency is on him. He has to figure out what is not working for him. And the more selfish Joey Carberry is now in the next, in this Six Nations period, the better it will be for him, for Munster rugby and for Irish rugby. Everybody's, everybody will rise with this tide. He's he just needs to. It sounds just just when I say just, it might sound easy. The more selfish he is about himself and figuring out what makes him tick and how he gets back to that high ceiling that he's capable of, the better it is for everybody. 
he's now watching ja- uh, Jack Crowley and, and Ben Healy go off to different international camps during the course of the Six Nations window Matt so he does have the wiggle room to have a little bit of extra game time to have a run of games and to kind of work himself back into a bit of form within the Six Nations window perversely yeah he, he, you know Graham Roundtree might very well say to him Joey can't have a weekend off go, go, take your missus go and have a weekend away have a glass of wine have some nice come back from fresh on Monday He's just got to take the pressure off himself mm. because the harder he tried, look, this, it was just painful because he, everyone, exactly what Gordy says, this guy's a class player. He's a lovely young man and he's just been, he's just been kicked in the teeth like he never thought he would be and, and he's just struggling a bit like we all have. Everyone who's played the game has been dropped, uh, even though I never dropped Gordon. He claims I did, but I, don't, I want to see it in writing. But you, 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 <laughs> you, don't, you just don't. It's, it's just so hard emotionally to overcome, but he will do it. Now, if we, if we look at the other side, Ross Byrne did it. Ross Byrne was throwing, throwing aside. We've all we've all had our our times where we've we've done that and overcome. Gordon and I uh, seriously, Gordon did overcome some incredible adversity there when he, and he finally found his position at inside centre and, and and moved on to become the great player that he was. So there there is a process. Of dealing with the adversity and overcoming it, that makes you know it's not a cliche; it's the truth. It makes you stronger on the other side of that journey. He's just in the middle of it. The, the old saying goes: If you're going through hell, keep going. Just keep going, and he, uh, he he'll come out the other side of that. All right, Gordon and uh, Matt are going to stay with us. We're just going to take a quick break. Monday night rugby. On Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Welcome back to Monday Night Rugby. Richie McCormick here with you and joining us on the line still, Gordon Darcy and Maddie Williams. We're going to move on to Leinster's win over Racing, a 36-10 to win at the Aviva Stadium. This one had a little bit of the air taken out of it by virtue of the fact that Leinster are already over the line in terms of securing a, a last 16 place. They've obviously gotten themselves... Uh, home quarter final and all that through uh, the next phases should they get there obviously enough the one thing that jumped out at me from this game and for a lot of people um, was the performance Gordon of Gary Ringrose Gary Ringrose is one of those people who by I don't think we're ever going to see lower than 7 out of 10 from him in terms of performances that's going to be his bottom end but what we've seen with him having the captaincy essentially for the last few weeks with Leinster um it, it doesn't seem to have taken anything away. If anything, it seems to have built him as a player and, and increased his abilities as a player. And he's been mightily, mightily impressive the last few weeks to an extent that even he hasn't mustered before, which is saying something. Yeah, it's, and and that was, I was kind of watching the game and I was, I was genuinely blown away with how good he was. Um, that is saying something, as you said, because he is so consistent. Um but I think he's been guilty of being very consistent. Um, <laughs> potentially a terrible thing to say, but he just seems like he's he's playing with a little I don't care um, attitude, which has brought him to a, a, another, another level. Because like something has changed. He is not playing the way he used to. The you know, and I don't think it's particularly different how Leinster are playing, but just the threat he is on the ball, the decisions he's making. It just all seems to be happening for him at the moment. And it is just brilliant to watch. Like him and uh, Jamie Osborne at the moment have been a like absolute breath of fresh air in the centre. Both of them uh, con- both of them feeding off each other. 
it's been really, really good to good to watch. But specifically, like with Ring Rose, like the captaincy thing, I think too much has been made out of that. I think he's like, I think it's a lovely. Um, it's it's nice that that's you know he's trusted with the captaincy and uh, it's great. But in the modern game, like captaincy is, you know, uh, you know it probably comes into focus every now and then. It's not a it's not a real it's not as important as it was probably twenty years ago. Mm. Um, but his performances on the pitch are you know making so, like they're making waves i think in the in in the northern in the in the like in the european cup it's definitely one of the foreign players going into the six nations um and andy Farrell will be looking at that and hoping he can bring it to another level because if he's carrying that form in and delivers at you know almost <laughs> pro rata at the at the at the level in in international that's a really good really good omens for uh, for andy Farrell to have a player that senior in his senior leadership group um and to be playing at that level like it's out like he's outperforming everybody around him it's great love and, to see it and, and what you say uh, that's the uh, the excellent center talking of course but uh, to to gordon's point there matt as well it's in terms of raising all boats what he's done is he's helped bring along Jamie Osborne at a rate that I don't think any of us really would have expected and a lot of that is down to Jamie Osborne being an excellent player but he's had somebody performing outside him he's able to watch that level from from close quarters and say well this is what it takes to be a Leinster player of that calibre this is where I need to be myself and the two of them in tandem have been an absolute joy to watch uh, absolute pleasure I, I think I'd be really interested in Gordy's opinion on this but the the, the individual skill that, that Ringrose showed when he towed the ball through, picked it up, like the classic pickup, hand away from the body and passed, it, passed on to, for the try, was just breathtaking. But I, I do think that what, what's helping Osborne is Gary had, was always a brilliant outside breaker. In other words, he was really good at stepping in, attacking the outside shoulder of his defender. But he's really varying that up with a like that break he made off off the beautiful uh, Leinster starter play off the line out when Ross Byrne hit he, he gave him the ball out a short pass tacking that inside shoulder. I think he's really good. I, I, I really value your opinion on this. I think he's really varied up where he's attacking on the inside and outside of that, and that's giving Osborne a lot more options. So he's got the option out the back. But he's also got Gary running really different lines in in my observation. What do you think, Gordy? Yeah, I think he's much like he's got he's added other aspects to his game, I think, and that makes him much more of a, a harder to defend. And I suppose if you're if you're looking at that, you've got like even that the starter player talking about, and they're very smart at getting Ross Byrne into that pivotal decision making uh, in that second line where he's got three different options to pick, and Ross Byrne very very good at that. And Guy Ringrose just has to run, you know, not just, but he runs a sublime uh, line to that. But some of his distribution and some of his uh, connection connecting play has just added, and so you don't know where he's going to go is he going to whereas before maybe you just kind of going like oh he's going to maybe just step in off the outside but he's saying Matt he's added so much more variety to his attack that the whole um, yeah the, just the, the thing and then confidence and you know we spent a bit of time talking about um, you know the, the lack of confidence in Joey Carberry and here's a guy in form and how that can give you an extra couple of percent and you know because at the end of day like 
rugby. It's everything is a series of catch, pass, kick, tackle. Like there's not that many uh, physical things that you do in it. It's about doing the right thing at the at the at the right time, and that all comes up here. And just you know, here's a guy who's on form and is a key player for Leinster. And usually with that, one or two things will happen. They'll either plateau or they kick on. And he's just shown you know he's been trusted more. He's got a bit more responsibility and is. And has grown massively with it. Um, and it's great to see when a player does that. How does Andy Farrell go about best utilising him then, Matt, in the Six Nations? Does he just go play the game you've been playing at Leinster? Does he have to put extra consideration into who he's going to have partner him, uh, given that he has had specific, you know, quote unquote favourites at inside centre over the last two, three years? Um, how do we get the Gary Ringrose of the last five, six weeks through February? Great question. I, I think it, what Andy Farrell has done brilliantly, is, and I am a huge fan of what he's done, is he's realised that a national philosophy is bottom up. It doesn't come from the national team down. It comes from schools and clubs and academies up. So he's adopted um, very similar frameworks and structures that Leinster play, and he select twenty. He selected twenty Leinster players in his squad. So I think he'll say to Gary, keep playing like you're playing at Leinster and let's build that same system around you. Now, uh, Robbie Henshaw and Bundiaki have had the mortgage on that 12 jersey. Obviously, Robbie's out with a wrist injury. Bundy's a bit out of favour, but he's still an excellent player. But does he stay – does does he, he give young, uh, young Osborne the uh, – his head and say, you, you, you will keep the partnership together. Now, that's what he's tended to do with relationships. You have your same halves, centres that have a good relationship together and so on. It'd be an interesting one. I don't think Bundyaki would, uh, would be a negative in there. I'm not trying to say that. I'm a great respect for Bundy and the way he's developed his game. But he would just be putting a similar environment and framework around Gary and, and the rest of those outside backs to say, let's continue with what you're doing. Let's just do it on the international stage. Mm. Bundyaki again, Gordon, not involved uh, in that Connacht squad that played over in Newcastle at the weekend. Um, despite the fact that everybody, Pete Wilkins and your friends, saying that he's training, he's in good form, his attitude seems to be okay. Clearly there's something amiss there. Does that affect how Andy Farrell views him in terms of the Six Nations? Um, if Jamie Osborne hadn't played as well as he's played in the previous two games, I would say no. Um, but now I'd say you're kind of looking at it going, can you re- can you leave him out? I, like, I, I genuinely don't think you can. And, and not because he's just playing in Leinster, but if you just actually look at the way he's played two weeks in a row and has come through the emerging tour and all the previous body of work has been exemplary as well. He was up against Gael Fiku, who he would be, you know, if he if he plays and uh, is involved, would be up against him and more than held his own against uh, against Fiku. Um, so, you know, I I, I feel it would be very hard not to be starting Jamie Osborne in that, um, based pu- purely based on his merits, and then the added piece on that will be his par- his partnership with Gary Ringrose. Um, so, you know, whoever starts at ten, if it's you know Sexton Crowley or or, or Ross, he's going to have more than likely. Uh, a good relationship with with you know two of the two of the Leinster out halves uh, in the, in there as well. Would you have any um, qualms? Uh, sorry, uh, Maddie. Would you have any qualms about starting Jamie Osborne over in Cardiff? Um, 
everyone's got to play their first test. So it's not like he's got a bunch of uh, of, of uh, rookies around him. He'd be a lot of experience around him, a lot of great leadership there to help him through. Cardiff's a pretty hard place to go as far as noise and communication goes, the singing and everything beforehand. It's pretty confronting. Um, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't have any problem starting him, no. I think the, I think he's a huge talent, and I think he's as as Gordy right <coughs> excuse me rightly pointed out, he's a product of what Andy Farrell has done with these A teams and the and the games against the Maori games against New Zealand fifteen and so on. He's really and South African trip. He's really come through that system, and he is playing great rugby at at in the Heineken Cup. So that that means he he's ready. He's ready for selection. Yeah, he's got great competition in Bundiaki, and also I think um, uh, Robbie Henshaw will come back into that squad once his wrist is right. But I'd have no problems picking him at all. Gordon, as a as a former ambassador of the number twelve jersey, if you've any great issue with handing it over to him on on Saturday week, I, but like I think you go back to you go back to the Warren Gatland philosophy. If you're good enough, you're old enough. Mm. Like as the same, Maddie said it. He's played two Champions Cups back to back, like. The only there, like there is no doubt about his his quality. There's only the only question is is he of international standard? And the only way to find that out if, if you're picking on form, it's a very simple conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Is he you know he's the only you know uh, he's the only twelve that's playing uh, and Bundy's not playing, so you can't say he's playing on form. And Stu and Stu McCluskey was in a you know a dogfight for the last last week and didn't play the week before, so you kind of go on like. It's a. It, it would. It would seem to me to be a very simple conversation. Yeah, we shall see now. Uh, less than two weeks to go until the uh, the start of the Six Nations. Gordon Darcy, Matt Williams, thanks so much for your time this evening. Thanks, for you, And rugby and off the ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.